So I had this extraordinary sermon planned um, on the, I think it's the eighth plague. So we've got to the eighth plague um, and it's the second longest account. There's all sorts of things going on um, and it's going to be a really good sermon but apparently it's not for this morning because I got to the very first few words of the eighth plague and I stopped and I couldn't go any further and I hoped to go on and do something in, uh, interesting uh, and new but I couldn't get past then the Lord said. I hope you really have paid attention so far uh, because we've been looking at Israel's emergency exit from Egypt um, and it's full of emotion. You have this ambition of the Israelites to leave. You have the anger and fury of Pharaoh and you have the hope of the Israelites that maybe one day they can get to this promised land. However, all that emotion is tied up in a particular context. And the context is not politics, it's not uh, military fighting, it is the Word of God. And it is more particularly, it is God speaking to Moses. Everything that happens in this Exodus account is God speaking to Moses and everything that happens from then on. And it drives it relentlessly on, chapter after chapter. Then the Lord said, then the Lord said, then the Lord said. I wonder if you've ever thought, what does it mean for Moses to be spoken to again and again in this epic story? What was it like to hear what the Lord said? Now, all of us uh, able hearers and speakers, we know what it is to speak with another person. You formulate a word in your brain, your larynx forms a word, they come out, uh, the uh, words are reverberations in the air and then you pick it up in your ear canal and your brain goes, I know what that is, that's a language that I understand. And we get that, get that again and again, it's, uh, it's how we talk. So the question is, is that how God talks? Is that how God spoke to Moses? Did Moses hear in his ear canal air vibrations made by God in his larynx? If this is the case, if that's what happened, it was very easy for Moses to hear God. And... It probably lets most of us off the hook. Because it's likely that very few of us hear God's audible voice in our lives very often. Have you ever heard mysterious words that come from the sky that could have been recorded? There are three problems if you think that God spoke audibly to Moses. First is, and this is the most obvious one, God is spirit. He doesn't have a larynx. He can't and doesn't uh, formulate words like the back of his throat because he doesn't have a throat. 
Secondly, if the God of heaven and earth, the God who sustains your very life, who fills your lungs with air and makes your heart beat, if he is the one that sustains life on earth and can do anything, would he really bother to bother with voice boxes, eardrums and vibrating particles in the air? Do you think the God who uh, put everything into place need bother with something as mechanical as that? And thirdly, believers before and since Moses describe that they have heard from God, but their experience of this is not like that experience of Samuel in the Bible where they, he hears something uh, and it seems to be uh, an audible voice. But most often, believers, both uh, our um, ancest Jewish ancestors and sort of the Christians of the last 2,000 years, we talk about something mysterious. We talk about something internal. This morning, I suggest to you that Moses may not have heard an audible voice. He may not have heard a conventional sound. Instead, it seems to me very likely that God conveyed his message to Moses in another way. Now, we're going to turn to the most, what I think is the most extraordinary book in the Bible. And we're going to also turn to the most extraordinary chapter in the most extraordinary book. And if you don't think uh, I'm telling the truth, well, without briefing her, my wife uh, quoted from this very chapter this morning. She had no idea what I'm speaking about. And thankfully, she read from uh, this passage uh, when we were praising God earlier. So turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. There is something wonderful about this chapter um, that I return to again and again. And so uh, uh, Sam read sort of from verses uh, uh, sort of 9 and 12 and stuff, but we're going to go on a little bit further on to verse 14. It says this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit does not make you slaves. Everyone say, I am not a slave. I am not a slave. Excellent. So that you may so you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you see receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba Father. Everyone say Abba. Everyone say, Father. Father. Excellent. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Everyone is made in God's image. And this is why... Uh, Christians particularly uh, uh, cherish life and have been known through the ages as people that try and protect 
those that a wider society would reject. We think everyone's been made in God's image and that everyone has uh, an eternal spirit inside them. And so, hopefully, we value people. Hopefully, you love people. Hopefully, you know that people are more important than your fish and your cats and your dogs. They are more important than anything you own and anything, uh, uh, any ambition you have at work or domestically. People are more important than all of that because they have an eternal spirit inside them that God has made them. We don't act like that, do we, sometimes? But people are more important than anything else. And the Apostle Paul in this letter to the Romans explains that the Spirit of God, who doesn't have a larynx, relates to every single person in their inner being. Now, there's lots of different ideas as to how a person is composed. Um, But I think you have an outer being and an inner being, and that inner being is what we can relate to to God. And uh, uh, um, a lot of the sort of theological experts would boil it down to basically you have uh, an outer being and you have this inner being, this spirit of God, this soul, um, and they can be used interchangeably. And so the spirit of God deals with your spirit and there is a communication that goes on and it is the most deepest and profound communication possible. It is spirit to spirit. There's no, um, you can't hide from it. There's no deceit there. It is the truest form of dialogue you can have. And so the people that God has chosen, they welcome this spiritual exchange. When God's spirit comes near them, they go, oh, at last, this is what I've been longing for all my life. And the rebellious, those that not God has not chosen, when God's spirit comes near, they kick it off, they reject it, they throw it off. And there you have the two categories of people, the people that welcome God's spirit to their spirit and the people that reject God's spirit when it comes near their spirit. Now, when we confess Jesus as Lord and believe in our, him in our hearts, this spirit that was relating to our spirit comes and lives inside us. This spirit to spirit is suddenly how we see who Jesus is. It is how we get saved. You are not saved by reading the Bible. You are not saved by going to church. You are not saved by being baptised. You are not saved by singing Alleluia, Hosanna a thousand times or repeating with Tim Jesus a million times in worship. You are saved when the Holy Spirit comes in you. That is the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. It is the residency of the Holy Spirit. If you don't know Jesus as your saviour this morning, I suggest you give some time to it because it is the most important thing you can do. The most important dimension of yourselves is not the outer bit, 
that grows old and frail and huffs and puffs when it runs around with teenagers on a Saturday morning and bits sort of uh, become wizened and stop working properly as you get older and older. It is that inner being. It is that inner being that God has set there um, in his image. And let me tell you, if you don't know Jesus, spend some time on that. But thankfully, it doesn't stop there. The Holy Spirit doesn't just want you in. The Holy Spirit doesn't just want you born again. He wants us to grow up. He wants us to mature. He wants us to become more than just a spiritual embryo that doesn't really do anything. The Holy Spirit constantly comes near us and seeks to purify us, to make our character more Jesus-like. Later on in Romans, it says, For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. The Holy Spirit makes us like Jesus, makes us generous and kind and loving. It makes us slow to anger. The Holy Spirit makes us quick to forgive. The Holy Spirit makes us quick to worship. The Holy Spirit makes us slow to be depressed or sad. The Holy Spirit makes us quick to be joyful. The Holy Spirit makes us quick to be faithful and encouraging. The Holy Spirit makes us wonderful people to be around. The Holy Spirit works on each of us so that when we come to church, everyone else is like, oh, I'm so glad I came to church. Wendy was so nice to me. Andy was just awesome. I'm just, I'd had some, I've been with unsaved people all week and suddenly to come to a bunch of saved people on a Sunday, it's just a breath of fresh air. It's just a relief. I'm so thankful that Barbara and Bianca and Francis didn't bring all their troubles and their gripes and their grievances here, that the Holy Spirit has worked in their hearts so that they want to be kind and loving like Jesus this morning. And the Holy Spirit wants us to lead us in the right direction. Because it's not just about character, it's about purpose. And so I want to encourage you this morning. I want to encourage us, and I'm talking to myself this morning. We have got no references to clever books today because I just got too excited with the text. I got too excited with a very simple message. This morning is really simple. And it's really good. And you know what? I don't want to complicate things. I want to encourage us all. If you have heard the call to be saved, if you have heard the call to uh, call Jesus saviour, if you have heard the call to be baptised, you can have the confidence to hear the Spirit in other stuff as well. If Jesus brought you in, then you can hear him in other matters as well. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 10. It says this in uh, John chapter 10. This is uh, just wonderful. We looked at the parables of Jesus a while back, and I I really enjoyed looking at this particular uh, parable. It says this in John chapter 10, verse 1. 
I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listens to his voice. He calls his own sheep by his name and he leads them out. When he has brought them all out on his own, he goes ahead of them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Everyone say, I know his voice. I know his voice. You know his voice if you've confessed Jesus as saviour. You know it. You're familiar with it. It's something that overcame all sorts of difficulties. No one chooses Jesus because it's the easiest thing to do. No one chooses Jesus because it's the in thing. It's the fashionable thing to do. We choose Jesus because an inner voice prompts in our heart and goes, come on. Don't you want to be saved? Don't you want a better life? You know that things are going wrong if you follow your own way forward. And so Jesus uses these farming analogies to illustrate his point. Jesus says, he is the gate. I really like this. He is the gate and he brings us not just over the threshold into salvation. He doesn't bring over the threshold into redemption, but he brings us into a brand new life of possibilities. The possibilities are endless for believers. We have a God enthroned in heaven who can do all things and he leads us through the gate into new life. And we should be excited about that. We should be reminded to be excited about that. Uh, Monday to Saturday, uh, there are all sorts of reasons not to be excited. Monday to Saturday, everything from uh, a world of geopolitics to financial worries, there are lots of reasons not to be excited. But Jesus is the gate, okay? And that, apparently, is exciting because it, he leads us into brand new stuff. Stuff that we'd never dreamed of. Stuff that we could never uh, imagine or ask for. And more than that, Jesus is not just the gate, but he's also the shepherd. In this uh, analogy or metaphor, Jesus is everything. You look as far as the eye can see, that's what Jesus is. And so Jesus is the gate, and now he's the shepherd. And his call doesn't just lead you out of darkness. He does, his call doesn't just bring you into light, but he brings you into spiritual maturity and spiritual excellence. The idea is not... Oh, I'm saved, I can get on with my life and then pop into church once a month. Or have a look at my Bible when I can be bothered. When Jesus leads us into the light, he says, right, your journey with me has only just started. I expect you to grow up and I expect you to find the purpose that I have got for you. Being saved is part of a journey of hearing God. And if you've heard God and you've com uh, uh, you confessed Jesus as Lord, you're already on that lifelong experience. You can't go, oh, I've changed my mind, I want to go back. That's it, you're on that path. And it's up to you how mature you get. So I'm trying to keep things as simple as possible. God speaks. We can hear his voice because everyone's got a spirit. You are not the exception. You are not the one that God cannot speak to. 
If you are a person, you have got a spirit in you, and that is the mechanism by which God will speak to you. It is uh, a default setting for all of us. If we are saved, not only do we know God speaks, not only do we know that we have a spirit, but we have already heard his voice in our lives and we have acted on it. If we do that for the rest of our lives, that's perfect. That's all God wants. He wants you to listen to him and do what he says. It's not complicated. You don't need a degree from a, a theological college. You just listen and listen and listen and listen. So the obvious question this morning, and this is my final point, I'm trying to keep it short as well, so like the pithy. The obvious question is, how are you doing? at hearing the voice of God. How is it going? I'm not going to grade you. We're not here to judge you for all your failures this morning. I am simply asking you, how's it going? doesn't matter whether you're young or old, whether you're near the end of your life, or hopefully less near. How is your listening going? This listening is how the Holy Spirit came in. This listening is how you started on this journey of faith. How's it going? How are you listening? How much attention are you paying to him? How much time are you spending with Jesus? If it saves you, and if you've seen a change from that, you would be bonkers not to keep listening to God. And so, I want you to be encouraged that you can hear from him, that you have heard from him, and that you will hear from him again. And I want you to be encouraged that if you don't know what you're listening to, and if you've forgotten what it felt like for God to call you and for you to turn your life over to Jesus, I want to remind you of what his voice sounds like. His voice does not sound like, you are guilty, I hate you, you are no good. If you hear that voice, can I just say, that is not God. It may be a Christian, it may be the latest book you're reading, it may be uh, uh, whatever fad is out there, but that is not God's voice. The voice that called you to him said, I love you a lot. I sent you my son to die for you. I want you to be my child. That is his voice. And you, some of us, need to go back to basics and go, let me hear that voice again. Let me start with that again. We read this earlier. The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit that you need to listen to cries out, Abba, Father. The spirit... It's not some complicated thing that you need to light candles for and uh, uh, sort of say some magical incantations to get him in. He's already there. You've already heard his voice. It's the spirit that says, you are my child and I love you very much. And you need to remember that and tune into that. 
And I want us to begin by defining ourselves as children of God. If you define yourself in any other way, you're in trouble. If someone asks you, and I realise this is sound a bit bonkers, if anybody asks you at Passport Control who you are and you don't immediately say, I'm a child of God, then you've forgotten who you are. I know Border Patrol want you to say what nationality you have and whether you've got a visa. But our identity fundamentally should be not male or female. It shouldn't be whether we're young or old. It shouldn't be what football team we support or what nationality we have or what our bank balance says, whether uh, what political affiliation we have. Our primary identification should be I am a child of God. When you take everything away from me, that is what I am. If you do not define yourself like that, you are in trouble. In Jesus, our identity is clear. It's clear. No one can argue with you. No one can debate it. It is established. More than this, if Jesus is your saviour, your value is unquestionable. You don't need to go to therapy to find out if you're important. You don't need to go through counselling to discover whether your life matters. Jesus says it does. I died for you. Let that sink in. And if Jesus died for you, your destiny's not in doubt. You don't have to worry about it. It's not something up for debate. You won't suddenly find when you come to home group, when we're talking about different things, that you're like, flip, I've got to, make, I've got to do some stuff, otherwise I'm not going to make it in. Jesus died for you. Your destiny is secure. And on this tremendous foundation, we can move on. When we tune into that voice that says, I love you, you're wonderful to me. We can hear his ongoing speech. And we need to listen. We need to be disciplined in our listening. We need to pray. It's not rocket science. You need to spend time in thoughtful silent, lonely prayer. I can't get you a relationship with God. Pete can't get you in a relationship with God. Tim can't get you in a relationship with God. It's only you. Your relationship with God is what matters. And you access that through prayer. You do it through reading scripture. I bought a shed load of Bibles because I think we need to read our Bibles to remind ourselves again of what God says. And we expose ourselves to guidance. Hopefully you come to church and you find mature people that have gone perhaps what you've gone through and they can offer some helpful words. And we discover our thinking and believing and our living is to be ever refined. You don't suddenly get to there. When suddenly I became pastor, I didn't put my feet up and go, oh, fantastic, I don't need to read my Bible anymore, don't need to pray, I have made it. Because that sounds really nice, but it would be absolutely idiotic. If you don't do these things, these regular disciplines, it's likely that you can't hear from God, or you're not hearing from him, or you're ignoring his voice, and God can't prepare you for the stuff that he's got for you. God didn't save you to just keep you just saved. 
If you gossip, you can't be trusted with confidential situations. You're just not going to be given that responsibility. If you pray little now, you're not going to be able to deal with any real kingdom battles. If you don't bother spending time in scripture, then he's not going to trust you with stuff that that is needed for. If you cannot be generous now, you can't be given much later because you're not going to be generous with that either. You have to listen to the Holy Spirit. Allow him to refine your character. Behave in the direction that he wants you to behave. And he can prepare you for the stuff that he's got. If his spirit is in us, we have not just been called to salvation. We have not just been called to salvation and goodness. You haven't just been called to be good. You and I have been called to supernaturally serve, to actively love in a purposeful way. So we need to listen to his voice, that voice that says, I love you, you're marvellous, I sent my son to die for you, you are mine, no one can take me from my grasp. As we listen to that voice, as he tells us who we are, and how we are to live. He can send us to go and love others. And this deployment, this wonderful purpose, this magical plan that everyone wants to hear about, it's not in a secret code, okay? You don't have to go on a mountainside for 40 days and 40 nights starving yourself to hear the secret code. It is the same voice that says, I love you. It's the same voice that says, give stuff away, and it's the same voice that says, this is the purpose I have for you. On Tuesday, we started watching a rather remarkable story of a family who simply went to serve people touched by war. It was a um, guy called Dave, um, and uh, there him and his family. And uh, they just wanted to serve those that were touched by war. And it's a wonderful story. You have again and again them going through and providing medical help. And God calls people again and again, help these people. And they're used by a character and availability and skills. And it was really good. We sat around afterwards and discussed what it meant to be called by God. Because I don't want people to think that he's some sort of spiritual superhero and the rest of us have just got to live day to day. We talked about what it meant to serve God and to find his purpose. We talked about people's various mission trips. And it was fascinating how often, it wasn't a case of I heard an audible voice from God and I went to live uh, with the natives of some far-off primitive tribe. That's not how it happened. You go, I love Jesus, I wanted to do something for him and someone just invited me and I had uh, the opportunity to go, so I went. It was incredible how many different uh, people said that. 
And so we've had people here in this congregation go to Kosovo, Macedonia, the Congo, Haiti, and even Hong Kong because they've said, I love Jesus and I want to serve him. Where can I go? Wasn't some mysterious voice in the heavens say, you shall go to France? Wasn't that? It was a collection of internal dialogues that led them to that. Sometimes God leads us to the ends of the earth. Some of you are going, please God, I won't ever read the Bible if you're going to take me to one of those places. But he wants to take you to where you are best suited. Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians that he, take, he normally leads us where we are. God hasn't moved heaven and earth for thousands of years in history to bring Ruth and Isaac and Kevin in Bewbush to go flip. I've, they've ended up in the wrong place. Man, you should have been in Papua New Guinea or Australia. Why weren't you in some island in the Pacific? God has normally orchestrated our lives to lead us to exactly where we should be. He's moved heaven and earth and thousands of years of history to get us to this point. Our grandparents and our parents and the opportunities of life have meant that we are here today. And God says, bingo, you want to know what you are called to do? You are called to be here. All of us, up to this point, will have different temperaments. My temperament is different to Tim's and Peter's. Uh, we spend a little bit of time together and it's very obvious when that happens. Our temperaments are different, but that means that we have different strengths and that means that God can use us in particular places. We'll have had different training. If you've ever tasted anything I've cooked, you'll know that me and Ruth have had different training when it comes to catering. There are, all of us have different temperaments, we have different training, we have different experiences, and all of these come together to prepare us for his plan in our lives. It's not random, it's not, uh, if you fancy it, it is God's purpose. So just think on this. If we love Jesus our whole lives, he has been leading us to serve right here and right now. David Eubank, fantastic guy. We're going to learn more about him in the next couple of weeks. But his call is not greater than your call. His preparation is not somehow uh, more elevated than your preparation. You will reach people that David Eubank won't have a foggiest what to do with them. He spent too many years in the army to probably deal with a lot of the people that we know in Bewbush. His counselling advice would just not be there, okay? 
God has you here and now for his purpose, and we need to listen to his voice and find out what it was. So I'm going to end, and I want you to, um, I'm asking you this morning, listen furiously to God's voice. Not to an imaginary voice in the air, but his spirit that lives in you, that wants to touch your spirit. Watch for opportunities. Listen for them. I'm not just talking about food, and please don't hear me, I'm not talking about going on some sort of tea rotor or something like that. I am talking about real purpose. I'm talking about seeing people saved. I'm talking about relieving the grief and the pain that is in someone's lives. Uh, there is a lady that we know at the shops whose husband uh, died recently and uh, Sam and, our heart, Sam and I, hearts break every time. And uh, that confidentiality um, is just something that we're like, you know what, I think God has something for her. She doesn't know it yet, but we're praying that God has something for her. And Dave Eubank's not going to be much good, is he? Because he's in flipping Burma. So uh, God is uh, uh, maybe looking to us. Look for the chance. And uh, I may dismiss Dave Eubank, but that I'll help one person and they'll be glad and I'll be glad. And I think that's good. Rather than I'm going to set up a paramilitary group to sort of change the direction of conflict in sort of Ukraine, how about you serve someone today? Do them good today. And that God will be like, finally. You're starting to get the hang of this purpose thing. And that person goes, well, thank you for being nice. Because God's call is not a mysterious thing that you've never heard. You've heard it. He brought it into salvation. And it's just our calling to keep listening to the same voice that said, you're my child and I love you very much. Please bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you made us in your image. We thank you that we have a spirit in us that has this eternal aspect. God, thank you that you deal with that directly, that um, you love us dearly, that Jesus died for our sake, that uh, when we trust in that name, you come and live inside us, that suddenly we get that constant interface of Holy Spirit and our spirit. And Jesus, I pray that we would be a group of Christians that are good at listening. Lord God, give us an appetite to listen. Lord, there are so many distractions, so many different things that would tear that away, so many different things that would uh, uh, deprioritize that in our daily routine. Lord God, I pray that you would make us a people that long to listen to you. Give us an appetite, again, to listen to you. Help us be better at listening. And Lord God, I pray that we would not make it uh, uh, something that it isn't, that we would look to see our character refined, that we would look to uh, be more like Jesus. And more than that, that we would look to serve those people around us, that we would go and seek to help even just one person and that they would be glad 
and that we would be glad to. Lord God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.